appreciate you so much. Um, such an honor to be here today. I um, have a lot of history with, uh, with Oasis. My dad, Diego Mesa, is really good friends with Pastor Phil and Holly Wagner. And so I've known many years Oasis and Pastor Phil and Holly. And it just so happened that uh, about five, six years ago, I got to meet Julie and we passed each other in a foyer. And um, about six years ago, my dad shared uh, that I was going to transition in, into him, his role as he would retire. And so that was about six years ago. This December, we'll finalize uh, about a seven-year transition. But I was about six months into that transition when I first met your pastor, Pastor Julian. And he had a word for my life that it was so unique, was so on time. Uh, it spoke into so many questions and doubts I had in myself that gave me complete peace in the season that I was in. And so you know if you've ever had a moment like that with Pastor Julian, because you may think that every pastor does that in their church. Not, not in my church. I don't, I don't have that gift of knowledge like Pastor Julian has. And so you guys are so blessed in that regard to have a pastor that the Spirit speaks to so intently. And I see him do it from the stage all the time. I see him do it on Instagram. I see him do it everywhere. And he's such a Spirit-filled leader, and I look up to that so much. And so uh, I love your pastor. I love your pastoral team, and I love Oasis um, we have been such a, a friends for over a decade with Oasis, and so thank you guys so much. Last time, last year, Pastor Julian was preaching at my church uh, last year, and he spent about the first 10 minutes just dogging on San Bernardino and San Bernardino County. And I mean, we gave him a lot of grace in that moment, you know, as he was just making fun of us time in and time out, calling us the sticks and all these other things like that. So here's the thing, with the time that I have, I'm not going to get even in any way, all right? I'm going to choose the higher road, I'm going to turn the other cheek, but I want to let you guys in on something that you may not be aware of, all right? So you want to learn something new for the first time? Okay, my church is an hour east from here. Churches in the Inland Empire, I'm going to blow your mind. So you guys ready? If you just travel an hour east, our churches have parking on site. On site. I, I, I know. I know. I, I know. Your mind can't even write. And guess what? It's free at our churches. I mean, it just. People literally come to church and they park where they're going to go. Hey, you won't believe it. You have, like, it will blow your mind if you've ever seen it before. We could fit trucks, RVs. Campers, cars. So say what you want about San Bernardino, but we don't have to walk half a mile to get to church, okay? So God, here's what I believe. I truly believe all of you will have an extra jewel in your crown in heaven one day because you have so many excuses not to come to church. Your simple fact of parking is enough a deterrent to not come to church. And here you guys are today. It's very parking alone was a choice of faith. So hey, God bless you guys. My church, they're getting a crown taken away because we have parking and they still don't come. So it's one or the other. So hey, we're going to dig in our scripture and our Bible today. And so if you have your Bibles with you by any chance, would you turn to Luke chapter 10? We're going to spend some time in a passage that you may or not be very familiar with. And so we like to say at our churches, we're going to squeeze the scriptures right now. And so we're going to allow God's work to completely speak to us and transform our life today as we dissect a particular passage of scripture found 
in Luke chapter 10, you may have heard it before, but Lord willing, uh, there be a new truth that discovered today that God could speak in your life and over your life. And so I'm going to read the passage first and then I'll pray and then we'll dig deeper into the passage that we read. So Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38, uh, there's three main characters in this passage that we're going to read. Number one being Jesus, number two being two sisters, Martha and Mary, Martha being the oldest more than likely, Mary being the youngest, and you may have heard this story before, but we will, Lord willing, be able to share something that you've not seen before in this passage. So Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38, here's what it says. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away. Let's pray this morning. Lord. We pray that as we gather together your church under one roof here today and those that are online with us as well today, Father God, we pray that the Spirit begin to speak and minister to us. None of us came here today to hear the opinion of man, philosophies of man, or a lecture of man. We truly came to hear a word from you, Lord. So may your word go forth and may you speak and minister to every one of us as we discover your truth. And ultimately, may we grow in our relationship with Christ or meet Jesus for the first time in this place here today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I want us to look back at the passage that we just read because some of you may have heard this story before, but if you ever heard this story before, more times than not, you've heard it in just kind of one particular way, which is we read about two sisters, one was serving, one was sitting at the feet of Jesus. So we'll particularly hear a sermon that says, hey, it's not wrong to serve, but Mary was doing something where she was sitting at the feet of Jesus. And so before you serve, you should sit. Now that, that's a good truth. It's, it's very true. It's an ultimate truth. And most times when we hear that message, it deals with, hey, continue to serve in church, continue to serve in your community, but make sure you get your Jesus time first. Now that's true. That, I mean, that's an accurate truth. There's nothing wrong with that truth. But this passage is far more radical than that simple explanation. I want you to see in a moment, because there's a lot of cultural clues that the Bible shares with us concerning Luke chapter 10, and it's seen at the very beginning. What we know about Mary and Martha is most theologians believe that every time you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, anytime you hear the name Martha and Mary, more than likely it's this Martha and Mary, and more than likely it's the Martha and Mary, the sisters of a man named Lazarus. If you know anything about Lazarus, from this story, months later, Lazarus will die. Whenever Jesus was in town, Lazarus and his sisters would host Jesus in their home. But ultimately, Lazarus would die. Jesus would come. Mary and Martha would say, Lord, did you not care that our brother was dead? Jesus would speak to the tomb, and he would say, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus would be risen from the dead. So... Almost all theologians believe that the Mary and Martha that we just read is that same Mary and Martha that came from a town called Bethany. 
And so I want you to look at the passage once more, knowing a little bit more cultural, uh, cultural clues. There's still more in here. So it says this, starting verse 38. Now, as they were on their way, Jesus entered a village. More than likely, we know that village was a town called Bethany, which is about 300 yards outside of Jerusalem. It says, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary. What is Mary doing at this point? Who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. She sat at his feet and listened to his teaching. Right away we see something that is more cultural than it is natural. Because in Jesus' day, when someone would sit at the rabbi's feet, Number one, it made them a disciple. So commonly what would happen is, is if a rabbi was talking, he could talk while he was standing. If the moment a rabbi sat, anyone who was one of his disciples would have to sit at a lower position than him. Because when a rabbi would sit, it would mean that he's ready to teach. It was a signifier. So a rabbi could talk from this table to this person to this person. But if the moment he took a seat, anyone who considered him their teacher would sit down to the floor lower than he was. And in their culture, only men did that. Because it was the man's job to learn from the rabbi and then to go home and teach his wife or teach his daughter. And so generally, only men could sit at the rabbi's feet. And so immediately we see Mary, this rebellious cultural rule breaker that regardless of what culture tells her she can and cannot do when it comes to her relationship with Christ, she says, I'm not concerned with how culture tells me that I can receive Jesus, how culture tells me I can follow Jesus. If these men can sit at Jesus' feet, then I can sit at Jesus' feet and learn with Jesus. So if you could already imagine the crowd and those people in the house and those men in the room would have been like, what does Mary think she's doing? This girl is crazy. She thinks she's one of the boys? She thinks she can sit with Jesus? She better get in that kitchen with Martha and start serving. What is she doing out here? Don't get mad at me, you get mad at the Bible. That's what they were thinking. Because now we have Martha. So what's Martha doing? Now we see where Mary's at. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus doing what no other woman in that room would have been doing. And then what's happening is it says, but Martha was distracted with much serving and went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. She says, Jesus, can't you see that Mary is doing something that no other woman in this room is doing, tell her to help me serve. And it says she was distracted with serving. And so what happens is then Jesus begins to respond and he does not respond to Martha's serving. That's not what Jesus is concerned about. Look at what Jesus says. It says this in verse 41, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, which in your Bible, if two words are uh, repeated back to back, it means it's an exclamation point. They didn't have punctuation back in the day. So he yells her name, Martha. He says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. 
He says, listen, Martha, you're not serving as a distraction. You're serving to be distracted from your anxious thoughts and your troubled thoughts. So therefore, Martha, you're staying busy so that you don't have to look in the mirror. You're distracted with serving because if you stop serving and if you sit at my feet like Mary is, then that means that if you begin to hear my teaching, you're not allowed to carry the things that you're carrying. So Jesus doesn't call out her aptitude to serve. He calls out her desire to be distracted from life and the anxious things of life and the troubled things of life. And Martha knew. She knew that if I do what my sister does, then I'm not allowed to carry these things anymore. Because if you sit at Jesus' feet, the Bible says that there is no, nothing that darkness and light can have in common. So if you sit at Jesus' feet, then that means those things that you're carrying and those things that you have cannot have a home anymore. And Martha, she didn't want to do that. She didn't want to do that. She was totally happy hosting Jesus. She was totally happy preparing a meal for Jesus. She was totally happy getting the living room ready for Jesus. But what she was not willing to do was to stop her distraction, stop her anxiousness, stop her troubled heart, and sit at Jesus' feet. You see, what Mary shows us, what Mary shows us is there is something more special than the cultural things of life. She tells us what it means to have a calling over culture. And sometimes in life, you are going to have to choose whether you're going to choose culture over calling. Whether you're going to choose the word of God or what culture says to live by. Whether you're going to choose to live by the spirit or live by the flesh. Mary and Martha exhibit two type of people. The one that is distracted to serve with life so that she does not have to come in contact with her troubled thoughts and anxiety. And then there's Mary, who's blissfully ignorant with the world around her. While more than likely everyone's gossiping and murmuring about her, while the chaos of the home and all the other women in the room are scoffing and looking at her, even in her, like her sister, and yet Mary's in this blissful state of hearing her teacher teach, sitting at Jesus' feet. You know, a couple weeks ago, we were out in L.A., me and my boys and my wife, my oldest son, Matthias, who's about to be five. He graduated preschool. He's going to go in kindergarten. So we came out here to L.A. and spent some time and took him to Dave and Buster's over in Hollywood. And so it was about 10, 10, 30 at night, and we're driving home. Our youngest, Thomas, who's two, he fell asleep in the car already. And my son, Matthias, he has his iPad in his hand. Uh, Ashley, my wife, had been with the boys all day. I had work most of the day. And so Ashley, I could tell she's really tired from the day at Dave and Buster's and everything else. So I'm driving the car. My son Matthias has a great idea. He says, Daddy, how about this? Because we have a little playlist of all his favorite songs. He says, I'll call out a song on my iPad, and then you pull it up in your car, and we play it at the same time. Well, I don't know if you've ever had something play at the same time on two different places. 
don't know if you've had a TV playing something at the same time in two different rooms, or maybe a, your phone going off with something else. I mean, when those songs that are exactly the same are played but not in tune, it is absolute chaos. So here he is. He puts the volume all the way up in his iPad. He tells me to turn the volume all the way up in the car, and he goes, Super Mario Brothers, one, two, three, go. His iPad, dun, 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 dun. my car, dun, 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 dun. my wife's like this. She's like, oh, God. I literally look at her. She's rubbing her temples together. And then he goes, no, Daddy, no, Daddy, no, start over, start over, start over. It was, I mean, it was chaos. So then we start over, out of sync again. He starts it over. Let's do it one more time out of sync again. The fourth time we say, ready, set, go. His iPad, my car started exactly the same time. It sounds incredible. It sounds like we have Dolby surround sound. We got the iPad behind my ears. We have my car going off. It sounds like a symphony. We can listen to the song all the way through without there being any chaos or any misconstruction. And in that moment, I thought to myself, how often do we experience the chaos and the anxiety and the trouble of life because we are out of sync with God? How many times, because God speaks a rhythm, God speaks in a sound. If you read the book of Genesis, it's done, if you read it in Hebrew, it's a poetic song. It's meant, Genesis is most, most to be, meant to be sung in Hebrew. It's not meant to be read in Hebrew. And so God's word speaks in a symphony. And then the moment our life is out of chaos from the song that God is singing, from the tell that God is telling from his word, the moment we step out of that calling, the moment we step out of the will of God, the moment we step out of the purpose of God, we start wondering, why is this in chaos? Why is this out of order? So we think to ourselves, God, you need to get into alignment with me. But how many times, as God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and we have the word of God to guide us, to instruct us, to lead us. And yet we have the word here, and instead of being submission under it, we put it to the side. And we treat it like a little appetizer. Just get a verse or two for my Instagram bio, just get a verse or two for the job I'm trying to get, and just, man, I just need a promise. I just need anything. Is there any? And so we just Google. We just Google something. Give me a verse for blank. Just little appetizers. Rather than saying, God, if I need order in my life, what does it take on a daily basis to sit at your feet? What does it take to truly, truly be submitted to your will, God? See, here's the thing about Martha in this story. Martha is playing this game called life. She's just trying to live life. She's trying to figure life out. So what does culture tell her and what does life tell her? You could stay busy. We know she's staying busy. We know that she's being distracted with not only serving but hosting in her home. And so therefore, her busyness becomes an escape and a distraction from what, what's really going on, which is her anxiety and her troubled thinking. But here's the thing, if you try to just play this game of life and figure this game of life out on your own, life begins to life more and then your life becomes lifer and then the lifer becomes harder. 
You don't believe me? When I was single, I just thought, if I got married, that'll be the life. And then I got married. <laughs> I've been married eight years, and it has been a huge blessing. But I'll tell you this, it don't come out with hard work. It's not easy. We, me and my wife don't wake up and just ascend to the heavens every single day. I mean, I'd be okay being a little human, but Lord, maybe ascend her. But no. And then we thought, okay, well, we love each other. Life tells us we're supposed to have kids. And then we have kids, and then they become toddlers. And then from toddlers, some of you guys may be in that season. I'm not there yet. They become teenagers, God forbid. And then as teenagers, they start saying, mom, dad, I'm at school. Everyone's talking about college. How are you guys going to pay for my college? You think to yourself, I have no idea. Are we supposed to do that? I thought there were loans for that, that you pay till you're 90. So then life just be like, and then someone begins to tell you one day, hey, you ever thought about your retirement? What's your 401k look like? You're like, I, I don't have a 401k, I just have 7-Eleven. Just when I'm hungry, I go to 7-Eleven. 401k what? So then you retire, then you start saying, my body's aching, now I got a physical therapist, now I have a doctor that know, I know by his first name, I know when he's on vacation and not on vacation. When, when did life get like this? So then you wake up every day just troubled. Just troubled, anxious. It's the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And so then you're like Martha and then you just think to yourself, if I just stay busy enough, maybe I don't have to think about it. That's the resolve. And maybe when I go through one problem and I have that solution, I should just find another problem because I don't know how to sit still. So when me and my wife become resolved in one area, I should just look for another thing wrong with our marriage. Because I don't know how to do this thing. And so Martha is trying to play this game called life. And then, and then there's Mary who what she's concerned with doing is she's concerned with living. Martha's playing life. Set the house up, busy, distracted. Mary's living. At my church, we call to live, we call that as an acronym, we call that living in view of eternity. You see, so what Mary's doing is she saying, I know the world and the culture has this kind of innuendo, has this saying, you only live once. But as I, as I listen to Jesus, I'm starting to hear that I will live for eternity. And so, and so instead of trying to figure out this game called life, why don't I figure out how to live? And, and if I can recognize that Jesus gave his life so that I can live, but maybe then, maybe then this thing called life will begin to have solutions, not because it's something that I can do or can say, but maybe it's something that I can give. Maybe I can give Jesus my life so he can return so that I could live. Maybe in order to receive life, I have to sacrifice my life for Jesus as he gave his life for me, then maybe now now I can begin to live in view of eternity, a greater hope than for today. Maybe instead of trying to figure my children out every ounce of the way, I can give them over to the Lord and trust the Lord that he can live in them. And if I can teach them that living life is to live a life in relationship with God, then maybe, maybe 
I can see freedom in Christ. You don't believe me? What happens is, is as Mary begins to teach us what it means to have calling over culture, uh, additionally what she begins to show us is what it means over possessions to have presence. What it means to have Jesus' presence over possessions. You know, some months later, we see Mary and Martha again. And this time, it's in the last week of Jesus' life. It's called Holy Week. And so we see a story that happens in John chapter 12. I want you to look at this. Months later in John chapter 12, here's what it says. Six day before Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served. There she goes. She's serving again. She's, why would John, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of all things, add? When we read from the book of Luke, in John he says, here's Martha, she's serving. Okay, well, if Martha's in the story, maybe Mary's in the story. And if maybe Mary's in the story, maybe she's back to serving with Martha. That's got to be what it is. Maybe she just sat at Jesus' feet once, and then now she's going to find herself back to serving with Martha. Maybe. Here's what it says. Mary served. And or sorry, uh, 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 Martha served and Lazarus was reclining with him at the table. And then Mary, here's Mary, therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? 300 denarii is a year's wage. She had a year's wage worth of perfume. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he was used to help himself to what was put in it. Jesus said, leave her alone that she might keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. Here's what's incredible about what you guys just read. Is what Mary did when she broke that ointment over Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. What she was doing was she was doing something you would only do to prepare a body for burial. You see, in Jesus' day, it's not like our day today. If a loved one passes or someone you know passes, you can maybe be there in an hour. If they live in another state, you could definitely be there in 24 hours. In Jesus' day, if a loved one passes, it may take weeks before you get word and then get to travel and visit the body. And so what they would do is they would completely cover the body with perfume so that when you would come and visit the body two weeks later, three weeks later, as it was decomposing, it wouldn't smell of rotten flesh. So it would still in the tomb, even though you were saying bye to your loved one, it would still have a pleasant smell in the room and not force you out. And so it's almost as if today I was honoring someone for some reason and I said, my gift to you is this beautiful mahogany casket. On a celebration day. They were honoring Jesus for raising their brother from the dead. And here she comes and she gifts him with a casket. That means at this time, not only Jesus' disciples hadn't even figured out that Jesus was going to die. 
I mean, in a few days, they would come to arrest Jesus and Peter would cut off a guy's ear thinking that it was time for war. But here's Mary. She recognized in order for me to live, Christ has to die. She valued something that no one else in the room valued. And so therefore, she took all of her possession, her greatest possession, potentially a year's worth of wage perfume, and she broke it and she gave it to Christ because she said, my possessions are meaningless when I have you, Jesus. It's meaningless when I have you. How many of us are anxious and troubled? Because the things that cause the anxiety and the troubleness, how many of it may be a possession? How much of it may be cultural? How much of it may be something that we can't even control? And here is Mary who understood one thing and one thing only. In order for me to live, Christ has to die. And we would know later on that Jesus three days later would resurrect. And this is a promise that Mary understood. And she consistently led against all cultural boundaries, against all ostracization of everyone else to say, Jesus, I'm going to sit at your feet. And by time this moment, as Jesus is moments away from death, just a few days later, he will be crucified and turned in by Judas where do we see Martha again? Distracted with serving. How many times was Martha in the room but not present? How many times was Martha in the space but her heart wasn't in the right place? I've seen that over the years. I've seen people who will come to church and they'll walk away and say, I got nothing from today. Then the person that sat directly next to them will leave and say, today my life changed. Because just because we're in the room doesn't mean we have the same perspective and the same heart to who Jesus is. Doesn't mean that we have the same desire to sit at his feet. Because guess what? In order for you to sit at Jesus' feet means you have to give him whatever you have. And not all of us want to give that. There was one thing that probably Martha feared, which was knowing part of Jesus' teaching is he would say, and often say, he would say that if you're tired and you're heavy laden and you're burdensome, Jesus says, give me your burdens, give me your tiredness. And he says this, because my burden is easy and my yoke is light. And so in order for you and I to receive Jesus means that we have to give him our burdens. It means we have to give him our hardships. It means we have to give him our anxious thoughts. It means we have to give him our troubled thoughts. Not everyone is willing to always do that. But I'll tell you this, if you would choose to give that to Jesus, then I'll tell you this, this game of life that we're all trying to play doesn't become life anymore. It becomes living. Living in view of eternity. And so would you join me in doing this right now as the band comes to come up? If you're in here, would you, would you bow your heads and close your eyes for me a moment? I just want to give you an opportunity today because you may be in this place and you may truly identify with Martha today. I think it's all of our desire to be like Mary and sit at Jesus' feet, but 
Oftentimes we find ourselves like Martha, distracted, distracted, distracted. Anxious, anxious, anxious. Troubled, troubled, troubled. And so if you're in this place today, I just want to simply pray for you. If you're here and you want to be delivered of that anxiousness, if you're in here today and you'd like to be delivered from those troubled thoughts, if you find yourself distracted today, you may not be distracted with serving, you may be distracted with everything else, you may be distracted with work, you may be distracted with kids, you may be distracted with a spouse, you may be distracted with finding a spouse. Wherever you're at today, I encourage you that Jesus' burden is light and his yoke is easy. And today could be a day that we can respond to that grace and love of Christ. So if you're in here, I want to pray for you. Would you do me a favor? Would you slip your hand up in the air today? If you truly want to be delivered of those things, if you truly want God to move in your life in that area, if you truly want to go from a Martha to a Mary today, would you just raise your hand up? I want to pray for you in this simple moment. Keep your hand raised. God, we come before you right now, Father God, and we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy that surpasses all understanding, God. I pray today for every anxious thought and every anxiety in their life, God. I pray that right now it begins to diminish, Lord. I pray, Father God, that in this moment today, that if there is troubled thoughts, if there are troubled things, if there are things on the horizon that they're worried about, if they're, every single day they're waking up with a list of hardships and a list of troubles and a list of anxious things. May right now, God, may you begin to break that yoke and that bondage, Father God. May you begin to give deliverance to their life, Lord. May they recognize that they are more than conqueror through Jesus Christ. May we recognize that you that lives in us is greater than us that lives in this world, Lord. So God, I pray right now for an anointing like they haven't had before, Lord. I pray for a rest like they've never had before, Father God. I pray that there is free Freedom that is being spoken over their life right now, God. I pray that the spirit that gives life today is breathing life into every person in this room, Father God. I pray for clarity of mind, clarity of vision, Lord. I pray you give them sight to the blind eyes, Lord. I pray that you build up their faith, Lord, to believe you for bigger things, greater things, Lord. I pray for healing to go forth right now, Father God. I believe, Lord, by your grace and mercy, you can do a work today, Father God. So may we rejuvenate and celebrate that if our God is for us, then who be against us in this place, God? So I pray for anointing on the top of the head to the soles of their feet, that when they leave this place, every burden may be cast down, every chain may be broken, and freedom will be released in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's celebrate God's goodness this morning. God